Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD for August 28th, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Howard Lindzen. He's a serial entrepreneur and the co-founder of StockTwits. Thanks for being here, Howard. And I like cereal. <laughs> and he likes cereal. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current markets, the importance of managing your weaknesses, and current stocks. But before we get into that, Howard, let's go over a little bit of your background. Now, we, we know you already like cereal, uh, but how did you get into investing? I, uh, I was born and raised in Toronto. I think uh, I think my parents gave me a little money because I remember losing it on a, a stock called Clearly Canadian, okay. which was a uh, which was the Lacroix of like the eighties in oh, Canada. Wow! Wow! wow. <laughs> so it was. I wasn't a millennial, but I lost my ass in Lacroix. <laughs> it was called Clearly Canadian. It was a hot stock, I think, on the Vancouver Stock Exchange. I don't even know if there was a NASDAQ back then because I was living in Toronto, and I think I lost about $6,000 of about a $6,500 account. Okay. that, that That's uh, not good. And uh, it just infuriated me to the point that uh, I probably stopped investing for 10 years and finished school and then ended up back in the market 10 years later. Okay. And what inspired you to get back in a after that time? I needed a job and, uh, the, uh, see the 987. So it was just a funny story in, in graduated from college in 80, you know, 87 and went to work in Toronto. Uh, cause I didn't, want to be in the stock market, but I needed a job for my undergraduate degree. Yeah. And I went to work in Toronto for a company called Davidson Partners um, in the wire room. And back in the wire room in those days, uh, you know, orders came in and on, on the, uh, in a little bubble tube. And uh, about one month into my job, the uh, stock market crashed. And, oh, wow. That's uh, perfect timing. And I remember all the tubes backing up. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Usually it'd be like a, a couple orders an hour. And then it was just a mass confusion in the office and people trying to clamor to get into the mail room. Wow. And, uh, and none of them ladies, obviously. And, uh, I, uh, I was let go, you know, last in first out inventory right. of human meat. I was uh, let go a couple of weeks later and the firm was, uh, shut down. And uh, I should have bought that dip, I guess, but uh, I didn't know what I didn't know what buying the dip meant. <laughs> right. Then. So I went back to school. Okay. Yeah. And, and and so now you've been you've been investing in the in the markets for for thirty five years now, and and you ran a hedge fund uh, for twenty years. Yeah. I uh, I graduated with an MBA from ASU. I moved out to the states. Uh, want you know chasing the sun and. Uh, the good weather. Uh, we had grown up with a home in Arizona and I loved the desert, loved uh, just the whole vibe of, of living in the desert and went to Arizona State. I was a Canadian, so I uh, wasn't a legal uh, pre-Trump. So there was a chance that I could stay in the country. And uh, am I allowed to say anything anti-Trump on this network? <laughs> so I, uh, it was pre uh uh, I didn't have a green card or anything, and so I applied for a job. I uh, and it was a stockbroker job, and um, and that was right at just before the '90 recession yep. and the SNL crisis. At the center of that was like my hometown in Phoenix, so I was like 0 for 9 in wow. the market by this time. Wow! And 
uh, but I was just so fascinated by how things worked and like panics and recessions and so every my every experience I had with the market was it was going to zero. <laughs> and um, but I had a great mentor in the brokerage business and he taught me how to sell and I just was fascinated by uh, picking stocks and I think Starbucks was going public at the time and Blockbuster Video like ninety ninety one yeah and. Uh, you know, those were the internet kind of stocks of the day. Yeah. And I just got hooked and technology was just starting Intel, the 386 processor probably. And I just got in at the right time and fell in love with the stock market. And, and so how did your investing strategy evolve uh, during those times where maybe in the beginning you're, you're, you're buying more uh, just on, on companies, but it eventually evolved into relative strength, into charts. How, how did that process happen? Yeah, so the, the the big issue was there was no men. First of all, I didn't have money, so I, my job was to sell. Yeah, and I was a good sales. Uh, and back then, you had a call. You didn't. You couldn't uh, go to LinkedIn or or use social web and build your brand. You were just smiling and dialing, and um, so that was a game in a way. Right. And you know, and you had to build your clientele. So it was not about me buying stocks. It was about me figuring out how to sell stocks. Yeah. And, and you know, I loved it. And but it also wore the wore me the hell out yeah. and just met a few friends and, and decided to switch sides and get on the uh, the buy side. And I was an entrepreneur. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur and love stocks, there was such, you know, you could start a hedge fund. And at the time, everybody was start. It seemed like a bubble, no different than everybody starting a venture capital fund today in 2019 and 86, 87. It was like, that's what you did. Start a hedge fund. So everybody's like, oh, it's a bubble. If Howard's starting a hedge fund, it's a bubble. But you, <laughs> you scrant I had no real experience. Yeah. And uh, but I had a lot of wealthy friends that trusted me over the years of selling. And they said, go at it. And uh, it led me on a 20 year miserable path of trying to beat the markets. And, uh, you know, with no real experience, just the trust of your friends right. and, and, and no money for Bloomberg. And, and, you know, I wasn't a news guy. I was just out in the dark trying to, you know, figure out how to beat the S&P. And, and beating the S&P back then wasn't like it is now. Like it wasn't about beating the S&P. It was just about making your two and 20 and making trying to just do well. Yeah. But uh, I discovered Investor's Business Daily. It became kind of my Bible uh, and it just resonated with me that, you know, good companies would show up with high relative strength. And you just started to recognize that, like, moment, you know, good momentum begets more momentum. And it just became the strategy that always made sense to me. So I've been a relative strength IBD 50 market smith. Uh, fan for I don't know for, for, for from the day one that I, I discovered it. Oh, perfect, perfect. Now and, and then you ev eventually started uh, a, a company Wallstrip, right? And yes. uh, and and how how long did you do that? That was around what two thousand six, two thousand five. Yeah, let me just have a drink here. So the uh, this is when I started drinking when I got on the internet. <laughs> so. So it's 2000. So you imagine me like uh, you hardly know me, but imagine me in you know I, I didn't have I didn't have a big hedge fund. I was under under 100 million, I believe. Um, I got to be honest, I was more about preserving capital. My no one was really watching me. I was more about preserving capital than taking risk um, and uh, learning. So so my LPs had basically paid for my education, and they were paying. 
And um, I just hate, you know, I didn't, I hated what I was doing. I hated the stress of like trying to beat the market. You know, we'd gone through now the Japanese, or the uh, long-term capital management in right. 88, and you'd gone through Asian contagion, and then you'd gone through the bubble of the internet. Right. And it made so many, just surviving in 2000, by 2005, I'm like, I can't even believe I'm doing this. Like, yeah, you know, worn out at I that point. I was a terrible person. You know, you're always trying to beat the market. And over what? Like helping people, you know, beat the indexes. And um, and I hated CNBC. Just just hated it. Just, And that's what resonated with me. I just hate Yeah, The only thing I needed was my IBD and, uh, you know, uh, a couple smart friends. And that was my world. And so, so the internet comes along and, and YouTube comes along in 2005 and I'm like, it was all cat videos and, uh, and I, I don't even like cats, but I was really addicted <laughs> to YouTube. I'm a dog guy. And, uh, the, the, I'm like, I'm going to create CNBC on YouTube. That was the brainstorm that I had. And you can okay. tell I spent a lot of time by myself. <laughs> Um, and I called some venture capitalists, Cole called some venture capitalists, raised $600,000 and started a show called Wall Strip. It was a three minute, it was the first professionally produced non-cat video show on YouTube. Wow. And it was about uh, one stock a day at an all time high uh, called Wall Strip. And it's kind of based on an IB, you know, stocks at all time highs tend to keep, uh, stay at all time highs. And the first show was Apple. It became like a smash hit from day one. Uh, and CBS, we were the first show ever acquired. So I went from a, wow. a tiny room by myself and it was the first show ever acquired by a major network off the internet. So that's my that's claim incredible. to fame on Wikipedia. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and then, so then after that, after CBS acquired Wall Street, uh, a few years later. Ago, who the hell's Howard Lindzen and why is he working here? Because they realized what the hell they had done. And yeah. uh, they wanted to fire me after about two days. I was like Clarence Beeks of CBS. Wow. And, uh, but I, I lasted 18 months, and during that time, Twitter had become a, I, I recognized Twitter becoming a phenomenon. Was, uh, the first time I saw Twitter, I go, this is dumb. The 10th time I saw Twitter, I go, this is dumb. But the 100th time when I set it up, I go, this is gonna disrupt Bloomberg. Wrote a blog post about how Twitter is the next Bloomberg, and um, uh, started StockTwits. I, I negotiated out of my non-compete with CBS and started StockTwits, which was basically the idea of Twitter for stocks. And we right. invented the dollar sign, which is now the cash tag, as a way to search on Twitter to find people talking about stocks. And 12 years later, StockTwits is probably the largest social network uh, for stocks. Yeah, no, no, it's perfect. And so many I people mean, have Obviously, Twitter is bigger, but it's right. not a stock-focused site. Right, and and so many people have learned through stock twits and, and really gone through that learning curve a lot quicker than than I, thing, I was able to 20 years ago. So so IBD was my Peloton. I call it a Peloton, right? Perfect. The charts were my Peloton. That's what I call it. Um, you know, if you the, just to get this point across, you watch the Tour de France. I'm a cyclist. You watch the Tour de France, and I'm fascinated by like how that Peloton works. Like, you go, how do they do that race? You know, 21 days in the mountains, blah, blah, blah. But really, you know, 70% of it, they're in a Peloton and they're going 40% faster than they could by themselves. And that really applies to every industry, whether it's birds or whether it's people following each other. Um, obviously, in the stock market with so many people, you got to be careful who you're following. But once you build a, a, a strong Peloton, whether it's data or whether it's people, you can block the rest of the noise out. And um, and so so. 
that's what Twitter was to me. Uh, and, and that's what StockTwits became even more fine-tuned. And that's what we're speeding people's education up. You know, you can give people a couple website, you know, IBD and StockTwits, and they go great together. Uh, so th th I think there's a perfect way to kind of segue into the next segment where we're going to talk about you, know, you continuing to uh, you know, become be an entrepreneur and learning from those trends. Uh, so when we come back, we will we will learn more from Howard and, and how he's using his entrepreneurial experience to pick up on the latest trends. And also we will uh, go into the current market. So stay tuned. Hi, everyone. First, I want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast and your support. And I wanted to let you know that we want to hear your thoughts. And if you have questions for us, we will answer them on the podcast. Email us at investingpodcast at investors.com. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcasting platform. Howard Lindsen's our guest on Investing with IBD. Okay, Howard, so let's get into the current market, and then we're going to get back more into your experience here. So now the current market, it, it's been volatile. The IBD has it under pressure, four distribution days on the NASDAQ, three on the S&P 500. Uh, what, what are you seeing uh, in this environment? I'm seeing what you see. I read what you read. <laughs> we're all seeing the same damn thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a lot of people yelling, including myself. Uh, we're all yelling either at Trump or uh, with him. Uh, you know, what I see is a very strong U.S. economy mm -hmm. and low interest rates. But like you said, the data is is tippy. Like there's a lot of stuff going on under the surface. And I wouldn't be shocked if we tip down. But I'm not going to. I, I don't short stocks anymore. I'm just too lazy and uh, I don't manage other people's money. So um, cash is my hedge and I, I got a pretty high cash position. I'm, I'm 53. I, might, I have a very high amount of money in startups from my real job. Yeah. And but my passion is uh, stocks and um, I'm, I'm super bullish, but I'm really on the verge of like flipping the other way and just leaning even more into cash. So I, I, I feel like the, the, the our leaders are, are tempting the gods with the rhetoric. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the market could get the market could get uh, saucy. Yeah, we're, we're going to probably have a strong resolution one way or the other uh, with, okay. with, with this uh, indecisive but if we, environment. We're here decisively. Now you've yeah. got a lot of overhead. Yes. Right. If, yes. Yeah, you know, like you break lower and, you know, the restaurants are strong and software is strong and some biotech leadership. But so there's speculation going on as there should be. We got two percent or zero percent interest rates, but you can only, you know, huff and puff on this stuff for so long. Right. Right. OK, so let's get into because this is a good segue on managing your weakness, because one of the, the things that especially when you're newer, the traders, you, you, you feel like you have to trade every day. And, and that is a huge weakness that you. I think we all learn eventually. Hey, you don't have to do that. So, so yeah. let, let's go into that um, and and how that's a pretty big weakness for traders that they need to overcome. Yeah, I mean, you know, my son vapes. You know, we send him articles every day about how it's going to kill him, right? Like yeah. for for a while, I thought it was cute that he vaped. Now I'm like <laughs> killed my son. So I mean, yeah. like it's tr over. You, we've got these drugs all around us now. We have Robinhood and Stocktwits is about to have a trade app. 
And, you know, we've, we've taken the commission down to a phone and a click and free. I mean, are you talking, I mean, we're going to have an epidemic of trading. Right. So we, so those that have learned to master it already are going to have a great next 10 or 20 years because, you know, the bears, bearish or bullish, there's millions of people in the next that have been onboarded. 30, 40 million millennials have been trading crypto and stocks for the last three years on Robinhood and Coinbase. So I'm super bullish. But at the same time, kids are going to have to learn, just like they had to do with their phone and Tinder and Snapchat, to put that down and to enjoy these things for what they are. They're magnificent. And the market's a magnificent, one of the greatest achievements uh, of, of aggregating people's opinions and money. It's one of the greatest things that capitalism has produced and uh, underappreciated. And so people need to respect it. And to respect it, you need to be able to enjoy it without doing it every minute. And, and when you say super bullish, you're super bullish just on the future of the stock market, right? The, the new participants the coming in. The alternative is, is to turn on the TV and give up on life. Right. So I'm just right. super bullish on if you don't have the TV on, uh, how can you not be bullish? It's true. Now, it's obviously, true. Obviously. I'm not talking socionomic, like people have, so, you know, there's problems in the world, I get it, but I'm luckily, uh, you know, never had those problems. So I'm not gonna, I can't force myself to have problems. I mean, I look at the world as, as, as a glass half full. Oh, glass half full is the uh, secret <laughs> word of the day. <laughs> no. The, uh, the um, so I, I look at the, you know, for every buyer, there's a seller and uh, stocks go through overvalued and undervalued periods. But in a, in a world that we are in, that no way knows what's going on, with all this information out there, nobody knows anything. It's fantastic right. that uh, we're gonna have the next Warren Buffett, and he's right now he's 18 years old and has a lot of tattoos and is probably drinking White Claw. <laughs> but uh, the, the, next, the next billionaires, and you know, everybody thinks the, the markets will die with Warren Buffett. I think Warren Buffett sucks. And I don't mean sucks. I mean, like, I don't, the next, the, the next uh, Warren Buffett's going to be completely different. Right, right. And, and uh, so I'm super sad. And they may, be, they may make their fortunes trading sneakers and cars and rare collectibles, you know, because. So I, I try to keep an open mind to all of this. And, and so now with part of that being super bullish is. You know, you being an entrepreneur, you're in involved in investing in companies at early stages, and you're seeing yeah. these great trends, a number of these huge, huge trends that are happening, uh, really on the ground mm -hmm. level. And, and so, how has that helped you in the stock market? And, and first, let's probably just start off. What are you seeing? I'm seeing some. Listen, I'm not a geek. As a, you, we laughed about how how bad I am at technology, and that's the beautiful thing of this world. Technology. It's not about being able to code, and, and I think you have an edge if you can code, obviously, and if you went to MIT, you have a, an edge, that's yeah. just life. Uh, so kids, you know, go to school and go to the right schools uh, and learn to code, but I don't. And But I, technology is now immersed, like it's hard to, not to be able to use this, right? Right, right. And, and uh, do you really need a printer and a scanner? You can get by with your camera and, and, your, and your smartphone. So you are as technologically savvy as you need to be. But you know, in the days when you and I were doing this, yeah, DOS and you, like, I mean, oh That's my God, right. I didn't oh understand God. that. Yeah. So, so in the world where everybody in the world is connected and we live in a world for now that's still very mobile, right? Like I don't like some of the policies of, this is why I hate, de you know, taking away globalization. I want, I, I've earned my freedom or I'm lucky to have my freedom and I cherish that freedom, getting on a plane 
and and getting out of town and, and millennials do too and generation z expect that so those are the those are the black swans that we yep. that, that, that one talks about those are the black swans right the freedom uh, uh to to be mobile right once you've given people mobile and you take that away that's the war that's the nightmare but barring that it's not about the recession and it's not about trump and it's not about uh a one wall it is about the wall but it's not about just one wall um, so in this world of um, technology, um, it's just hard not to see uh, how this doesn't keep building on itself. In the world that's connected, uh, things are going to speed up, trends are going to happen faster, and, and markets are connected. And we're seeing shooting start. The chart patterns look the same. They're just compressed right. because technology is shrinking time. So it's the same same patterns over and over again and they're just they're just a little bit different with respect to time yeah. and they're a little bit different now because people there's less analysts in the world and they're a little bit different because they've been fired or, or, or the banks have been shrinking and they're a little bit different because um, uh, of the the speed at which they're happening and the speed at which they can be disrupted themselves. Yep. So these are all just different things happening. And, and so some of the industries, what where are you seeing some of this disruption happening? Which industries are are, are you seeing, like biotech or uh, aerospace? Well, disruption. It's you know Mark Andreessen said it and he said it well. And software is eating the world. Yeah. Um, but it's not the only trend. As software eats the world, you know, real estate prices will continue to go up and been good assets. So, uh, and as software eats the world, it helps biotech companies grow faster. As software eats the world, it helps fashion companies do more things. So, so the underlying factor is software, right? Mm -hmm. We have right. this world totally connected and you have analysts. Well, first of all, you have the shrinking of analysts. And then second of all, you have new rules being developed, meaning we have not seen companies at this size because they've been able to scale so quickly. So you have in a world with less analysts and in a world with less models because we've never seen these models before. Yeah. I mean, everything's thrown out the window. So, I mean, that's what makes me bullish. All this stuff's going to have to be rethought and reimagined. And who's to say Warren Buffett understands this market? Sure, uh, in a world without tech, without software and without network effects, uh, value meant something and uh, financial metrics meant something. But in a world where uh, everybody's connected, good luck measuring what the value of something is. Yeah, and, and you're and, seeing this software. The oh, perfect gotcha. example of that is Bitcoin. Sorry, the perfect yep. example of that is Bitcoin. Right. The volatility and the polarization that that's caused is unbelievable because both sides are right. Nobody has the right answer, but it is an incredible piece of software with no employees right completely open source no overhead yeah. no health costs no uh carpal tunnel employee complaints because they've been coding it's and and it's like facebook without employees and it's being built on servers that they don't have to pay for right distributed That's so crazy <laughs> it's a great argument i have no idea but directionally i'm bullish on a piece of software that has brand recognition at every corner of the world and may not be fast enough to transfer money for everybody yet. Yeah. It could be one of the greatest pieces of software of all time. So, so the so software, just Bitcoin and also blockchain in general as a technology. Well, blockchain, too, right? Right. Bitcoin right. is a blockchain. Right. Open right. source software, you know, Elastic, Mongo, 
Um, you know, who knows how big these companies can get? Amazon, in many ways, open sourcing. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. So the key is software eating the world. Uh, and yeah. and think about that as it applies to many industries like aerospace, genetics, uh, or even real estate. Uh, so coming up next, what we're going to do is we are going to discuss three companies that are a little bit older companies, but they are continuing to innovate. They're continuing to innovate, and they also innovate with style. Stay tuned. Want to find stocks like the ones on this podcast? A lot of the best names we talk about come from IBD's exclusive stock lists, like the IBD 50 and the Big Cap 20. Whatever type of investor you are, we got a list for you. You can access every one of IBD's lists, plus stock ratings, exclusive analysis, and one-on-one -on -one coaching with a membership to IBD Digital. It costs less than a dollar a day, but for podcast listeners, we're offering an even better price. Go to Investors.com slash podcast offer right now and get your first two months for only $20. We are back with Howard Lindzen. And so, Howard, let's go into some current stocks. And now, uh, the first three stocks that we're going to talk about, they're part of your fashiology category. Uh, so, mm -hmm. I think the first thing is, let's define what fashiology is. Yeah, I coined it about 10, 12 years ago with Oakley. Oakley had opened these stores, and they had had Bluetooth, Motorola um, uh, uh, headphones built yeah. into the Oakley phone. And I was like, that. I coined the term fashiology, saying, Fashion meets technology, meaning yep. you're never going to buy Motorola sunglasses, but you will buy Apple sunglasses with Motorola parts. Yeah. And so I was very bullish on Oakley, but they sold to Luxottica. I thought that was a terrible thing. It was a good deal, but like that was that killed a great brand that was at the edge of fashionology, right? Yep. yep. And they invented this idea. Of, they were the AirPods before the AirPods. I mean, that company was like on to something. And so it was really disturbing to me because I was so bullish on Oakley. And then along comes Apple, and that has become the largest fashionology company in the world, meaning they combine fashion, which is design, yeah. and people want to have it, and with technology. So they're the leading fashionology company. I'm immensely bullish on the company. Uh, obviously, China has a major, it's a major factor for Apple. They've got, considering how crazy uh, the markets are with respect to tariffs and how serious the issue really is, Apple's held in there magnificently. I think it's massively undervalued uh, because of law of large numbers. And people can't get their heads around the fact that uh, women and kids are going to be going to the genius bars for the next 60 years. Right. They, right. they figured out retail and fashion. They figured it all out. Um, and so I, it's my biggest position. Uh, I, I trim it when it's running. It's not it's because of large law of large numbers. It's my biggest position. But I also you know, trimming on runs and, and added on 20% dips. So so Apple right now, they're forming a, a, a really big cup with handle. They broke out, yes. came back in as, with the market, obviously, but it's yeah, been it's hanging in pretty well. Without China. It's, yeah. it's not going to get without any resolution to China, meaning I've been trimming in and adding other stocks over the last six months. It's just as, as it runs, I trim. And, you know, if, if it hits all-time highs, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, that's a good sign, and I'll get, I'd probably – pile back into it and, and some of the so some of the new products that they have now the at though the watches is, is really starting to Watch take off a trojan horse yep it's a fantastic product my 21 year old daughter lived in new york this year she couldn't wait to, one of the first purchases she did with her own you know her new job money was an apple watch i was like really 
And it's women love this product. They, they use it for different reasons, not to check Tinder, or use the phone. It's to compete around fitness yep. and, and little, little, you know, little cute things that they do that the phone does and steps stuff that I don't care about. But um, and the AirPods, the AirPods are a magnificent piece of fashionology. Yep. And, and, and now the uh, credit card, too. Right. They just released the credit card, which is a, a stylish. They, they, they just have a lock in that people don't understand. It's fun to hate Apple because they're so big. I get it. But, uh, you know, the fact that, that Steve Jobs passed and it's been, I don't know, eight, ten years uh, and they can still execute at this level. Uh, it's it's an amazing company. Let's, and everybody's copying it. Like everybody would like to be Apple. That's true. So, I mean, that's true. It's, it's, you know. Let's go to the second stock. And, and this is Nike. Right. And, and, yeah. and another company that's been around, they have such a strong brand name. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and it's not just U.S. Half their sales are international these days. And they're yeah. part of this whole it's fashionable, athletic. At the, you know, the other category that people always coin is the athleisure category, which, you know, is the yeah, same I hate thing. That word. Oh, you hate that I word. Hate, okay. We won't say that. We'll that say fashionology again. Then. So let them call it athleisure. That's, that, I don't follow people that call it athleisure. Okay. That's terrible. <laughs> that's like people in like. In like terry cloth robes, that's <laughs> leisure suit Larry when I was a kid. So um, this is about fashion and technology, and 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 Nike does a fantastic job. They're a fashion company, but they're on the edge always of technology. They've made a few mistakes uh, around uh, digital. They're just not a great digital company, other than e-commerce. They're an incredible e-commerce company, uh-huh. and they're incredibly good uh, at understanding culture. Uh, in terms of you know the secondary markets for their shoes and the way they you know create pop-up stores, but I'm super bullish on Nike. China, just like Apple, it's not going to get it's not going to ramp. If if there wasn't a China issue right now, the stock would be over a hundred, no problem. Um, and so you're not going to you know again you got to look elsewhere right now because these stocks are going to mark time with the tariff issues. But mark my word, if this tariff stuff goes on forever, they're going to figure this shit out. Yeah. And they're going to figure out how to manufacture stuff elsewhere. But what Apple does well is partner with other big technology companies because of the size of their brand. And their e-commerce is fantastic. And this secondary market through StockX and Goat, uh, Apple's at the forefront of Nike, being Nike. uh it's a generational brand. You hope that stock drops 25% so you can buy it. Yeah, and, and right now, Nike's forming a flat base. They've been trying to form, and they've been forming a number of bases during this volatile market. The latest one is a flat base here. Oh, uh, and, oh. and most importantly here, it's, uh, you know, um, Shoe Dog, best book that I've read in 20 years about business. Uh, it wasn't really a business book as much as it was a Bible. Nike went through this period as he got older, I think, that uh, you know, politically, you got factions within that company. It's a huge company. Everybody, you know, everybody thinks they're. And he went and wrote that book, which yeah. is more like, "Hey, don't mess with this company, right?" I'm handing down this book. We're gonna we're talking about the early 20 years of this company when it was a 10 million dollar business, and I was going to Japan and China to open factories. So yeah. put your politics aside within the company. I think it was a genius move by uh, Phil Knight. As he had a, you know, as he got older and left his company, and he left a legacy to say, "Don't fuck up the." Excuse my French, but like respect the brand. Like, right? We built this company. You're here because of us. You know, re, you know, don't screw up this company. Yeah, and, and I think and, that I think they, the stock's done very well in the last three years since that book dropped, 
And uh, for a big company, I think that could be a, easily a, a half a trillion dollar company. And and everything's about culture and brand, right? And always reminding and having that oh, as a Bible. Borders, right? There's no borders. That's it's all true. we got left. Right, right. So let's go to the, the third stock, and this is a, a younger company, but they've been around for a little while now. Lululemon, and yeah. and they have carved their own, uh, both in technology, but definitely fashion. They've they've, they've carved their own niche. Well, they've invented it, right? right. Like everybody's copying them now, so that's, that's important. I mean, it's riskier as everybody copies you, and your PE goes up or your 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 multiples go up. There's not it's not that there's no risk, but I've owned this stock forever. Um, I feel like uh, it's just in a world, and let's use the word leisure, but in a world because I don't think of them as a fashion as much fashion as leisure, but in a world where people can now wear to work in the, in a software world where they can wear t-shirts and, uh, and, and, and kind of Lulu type ABC pants to work. Um, they're in a perfect position. The, the, the products are light, so they make them easy to travel with. You can mix and match them like geranimals. Uh, it's it's been run without a CEO for it. The founder isn't even there anymore, and they've managed yeah. to continue, which is you know, which is really was a is really the one big worry that I have is they don't have that founder involved. Right. But at the same time, he's still a huge shareholder, and I think he's still kind of got a, a big pull on that company. And it's just such a great brand that it seems like almost anybody can run it right now. And then obviously expansion. The company is, is tiny, so Asia. Uh, Europe, they're just starting opening stores in Amsterdam. I mean, this company, no one, no one knows the brand. Yep. And and now, out of the three stocks that we've spoken so far, uh, Lulu definitely has the best relative strength, the most constructive chart pattern here, uh, too. Yeah. Well, it, there it gets they, they, it's just a steady uptrend. So they're really it, fighting this market. I own stocks for a while. Like yeah. I, Nike. If you're adding stocks today, Nike and Apple. I'm not saying to add them. Uh, because of the China situation, you know, but I've owned these stocks for a while. I'm not going to pay the taxes and sell them and, and I'm trading around them. But yeah, and uh, but I have a lot of other ideas. But that the fashionology trend is something that everybody can understand. Yep. So let's go to one more stock. And, and this is McDonald's. Why, why don't you talk about how technology has uh, has helped McDonald's? Well, I think it was written up. We had this period where Domino's, if you look at Domino's for like four yeah, or five years, yeah, yeah. it was outperforming every tech stock because Domino's was a tech stock. Domino's really was an in-app experience. You know, yeah. my son could be at the golf course, order a pizza on his on his Domino's app, and it would be del he could triangulate it arriving at the house at the same time we got at the house because they had their own built-in delivery yes. service. Yep. But along and so. And McDonald's struggled. Chipotle struggled. All the fast food guys struggled. Then quietly, well, nobody understood it. Along comes Postmates, Uber Eats, Lyft, uh, DoorDash, and they're they're subsidizing. And and those the things that were most ordered on those things were Big Macs, uh, you know, and names that kids recognize. My That's son's ordering goddamn Big Macs on yeah. on Uber Eats. Yeah. Um, so so what happened is though. DoorDash and those became the delivery mechanism and became, if you look at a chart of Domino's the last two years, yep. it's gone down That's in true. a world where the others have gone up because yeah. they have menu competition. So so McDonald's, it makes sense that they are now benefact, benefiting from the VCs pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into delivery companies, which are just jacking McDonald's sales. That That's interesting. And uh, 
Uh, it's been just a steady uptrend for, for McDonald's. Because, really low volatile. Because it's so undervalued in a yeah. world where Domino's had that run. Because McDonald's has way more distribution, a bigger menu. Uh, it's trusted. Uh, and, and they have four delivery companies bidding for that business. So it's really been a fascinating trend. So I think that's, it's been, you know, I've owned it since about 150. And uh, it's a buy the dip type of stock because it's massively undervalued in a technology world. Yeah, and well, even if you go to a McDonald's uh, uh, restaurant right now, it's uh, well, you you have all the 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 touch screens and all that stuff now, right? So yeah. they, so I they're even. The, I'm sorry. I still like to order my food from a person. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, like, but I maybe the not the kids. It says tilt. I go to the screen and I can't even order a milkshake without <laughs> crashing the machine. But um, I, I think the restaurants are cleaner. I think the food is better. I think the I'm a huge McDonald's fan. So those are and four stocks. Three of them were fashology stocks that are worth taking a look into during this volatile market. Remember, China's obviously had a huge impact on the first three stocks that we spoke about. But put them on your watch list, watch them, and then you know be there when uh, a lot of this uncertainty is resolved. Thanks, Howard, for yeah. joining us today. It was great. It was great. Thank you. <laughs> That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Now, we are getting closer to football season, and next week we are going to bring Justin Nielsen back, Director of Research at IBD, and we're going to discuss the parallels between fantasy football and how we invest in the stock market. So that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nielsen Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.